And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. It is Friday, November 5th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. On this episode, we will talk about the surprising announcement of Buster Posey's retirement this week. We'll dig into how the Giants will replace him. Some other very early hot stove related news. There were some small things that happened before the Posey retirement, so we'll fly by those before we dig into Keith's Free agent rankings, the top 50 up on the Athletic Force subscribers. Be sure to dig into that article as soon as you possibly can. Keith Buster Posey, uh, shocking the baseball world here, coming out of the World Series, announcing his retirement. And I'd like it from the sense of, yeah, he could have probably pushed himself out there for a few more seasons and been a, a good player. But what more was there left for him to accomplish on the field, right? I mean, he won the Rookie of the Year award when he came into the league. He won an MVP. He's a seven-time All-Star. He won three World Series back in that run with the Giants in the earlier part of the last decade. There was nothing left for him to prove, even if he had that great bounce-back season in 2021. I don't know. Longevity, right? I mean, if he was thinking about a Hall of Fame case. I'm not questioning him, by the way. I completely understand. 34, going to be 35 next year. A catcher has suffered a couple of significant injuries. There was a hip thing, right, within the last year or so. Um, you know, and he said to, right, didn't they have, you know, his wife had twins last year, wanted to spend more time at home, something like There was the, a family angle, too, which I completely understand. So none of this is to question him. But if you're just saying from a baseball perspective, yeah, to build up sort of more of a career if he cared about the Hall of Fame. I mean, everyone's just sort of putting him in there. He's obviously a Hall of Famer. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, is he? I think he is. I uh, see. I, I I, have a hard time with that. His, you know, maybe people just sort of gift him in because, you know, his peak is a Hall of Fame peak, right? There's right. We talk about Hall of Fame candidacies in terms of peak and longevity. You know, if you have – you. You know, generally your best Hall of Fame candidates kind of have both, right? They played a period of time where they were among the very best players in baseball. And then they also did it for a reasonably long time. Some players get in by doing one or the other. I think it's more common for players to get in with longevity because they rack up impressive cumulative stats than to get in just for peak. Uh, you know, Posey's career stats do not measure up well at all to Hall of Famers. He would be, uh, I think he'd be the fourth lowest plate appearance total for any position player, non-pitcher in the Hall of Fame in the last, you know, who played in the last hundred or so years, not counting Negro League players or players you know, who, you know, other circumstances, missed time for war or something. But it's basically almost everybody in the Hall of Fame had, you know, he's at 5,600 plate appearances. It's not that much. It's only 158 home runs. It's a great career line. He had a great career. Someone is going to hear this and say, Keith lost his Buster Posey sticks. I am... Definitely not saying that. <laughs> but, yeah, my God, he's at 45 war in baseball reference. There's not many Hall of Famers, not in recent years, certainly not who were voted in by the writers who've been in that level. We occasionally get some. The Harold Baines is because his buddies on the Veterans Committee put him in. Thanks, Tony. And, you know, there are obviously some historical guys maybe who should got in for the wrong reasons. There are Negro League players who got in because we just don't have the good data on them. That's a, I'm putting them in a completely separate category here. But if you took Buster Posey's name off of the stats page and just showed me his career totals and his individual season performances, I would look at him and say, well, it's a Hall of the Very Good guy, right? He was outstanding while he played, but he just didn't play all that much and that's a very short it's 12 years it's very sure you have to play at least 10 to be on the ballot this is a pretty short career and um you know do i i love buster posey as a player 
you know, I'm trying to put sentiment aside here, but I think his statistical case is not the slam dunk that people are making it out to be because these these totals just don't measure up very well. Right. It, it's the lack of accumulation that would bring him down. I, I think it's mm-hmm. the peak that stacks up favorably, and then it's the awards that I mentioned, right? The bullet points on the resume mm-hmm. are the kinds of things I think people are going to push him in for. Like, I think if he gets in, I'm not going to be the guy that says he doesn't belong there. I'm definitely not that guy. There are better hills on which to die. For sure. Morris. I don't know if we're maybe overvaluing in general the longevity argument when we're looking at Hall of Famers. I think careers going forward might be shorter than they were for the bulk of the players that made it to the Hall of Fame. I think guys are going to burn out faster as we kind of look Well, it's definitely true for pitchers. I absolutely believe we're just going to have to rethink if you, unless you just never want to see another starting pitcher in the Hall of Fame after, you know, maybe Scherzer and Kershaw and Granke after that little group, that's a whole. I agree. That's a whole class of players that is. We're just going to have to change the bar because they're being used differently because they burn out faster because it's very hard for. Oh, I forgot Verlander. Verlander would be in that class, but the modern cluster of guys who are in their late thirties now and are pushing towards retirement, you know, maybe getting that last contract. All those guys I mentioned are free agents this winter. So, you know, after that group, though, we're not probably not going to see a lot of like 50 war starters. And we're certainly not going to see career totals for starting pitchers anywhere close to what those guys put up. The game has changed in lots of ways. I don't know if that's true for position players. I think we're going to see similar longevity for position players, or maybe it's a small drop and it's not, you know, a 30% drop like what we're seeing on the pitching side. I'm open to it. I'm open to the argument that Posey should be adjusted. Uh, sorry, Posey should be evaluated against some adjusted standards to reflect the time in which he played. Maybe the greater wear and tear of being catcher. I'm not saying, oh hell no, this isn't Omar Vizquel, where I was, where I literally put in my book. Oh hell no, that's before we found out about the off-field stuff that is probably going to, you know, actually keep him out of the Hall of Fame. You know, Posey's not. This is not a case like that. But I just looked and said. I mean, Joe Maurer has a better case. I don't know that Joe Maurer is going to get it. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the calls for Maurer to be included in the Hall of Fame are going to be nearly as loud as what we're going to get for Buster right. Posey. Just a lot, a lot more, I don't know, a lot more support, I think, uh, across the electorate for Posey at this point. Just, again, mm-hmm. basing that mostly on reaction that I've seen in the various pieces that have come out and, and just on Twitter uh, in the last 24 hours or so. Let's talk about the situation behind Buster Posey. We talked about Joey Bart, I think, on last week's show, sort of in passing. Maybe it was two weeks ago now. But he's one of those guys that was very blocked so long as Buster Posey stuck around. And now he might be a starting catcher for the Giants in 2022. It's at least much more likely in the range of outcomes. I think when we talked about him last, it was maybe a low average, big power sort of profile with room for more. I mean, do you think the Giants are ready to turn over that starting role to Joey Bart, even if they bring in another veteran to, to share it, if it's a 60-40 split, do you expect him to have a large share of the playing time behind the plate? Yeah, that would be my expectation. Now, obviously, I haven't talked to anybody with the Giants. Who knows how long they even knew this, have known this was coming, too, so they may have only just begun to think about what their plans would be. But they are in an interesting situation where Bart is a major league-ready prospect, somewhat flawed, but pretty clearly, I think, a, a big league regular. Um, with big power and outstanding defense, he is going to strike out a lot. He's not going to hit for a lot of average. He might be a 290 on base percentage catcher who does all those other things, which, by the way, is kind of Mike Zanino, who is a free agent if the Rays believe the Rays have a club option on him. So he'll be a free agent. He's on my free agent rankings. Um, you know, he might get paid rather handsomely if he goes out to free agency. And so what Bart does is valuable and valued by the industry. But you could also look at Bart and say, we might be able to do a little better than that. So I could see them saying, um, maybe getting a left-handed hitting catcher, if there's not a lot of those guys, obviously, but one of those to be sort of a partial platoon made for him, or just to have another one who's maybe just more experienced and to have him catch certain guys and Bart catch the rest of it. There's a couple of ways to do a job share. They also have Patrick Bailey, who was their first round pick in 2020, who is also a catcher um, and probably more of an offense first catcher. When Bailey was coming out of high school, You've seen as a glove first guy, he goes to NC State. The glove really didn't get much better. If anything, I think it took a little step backwards, but it turned out he could hit and had quite a bit of power. So he's going to be somebody's regular at some point. Uh, when I saw him in Fall League, briefly, the defense wasn't great, but I've learned from past experience too, just don't evaluate catchers in the Fall League. In fact, I saw Buster Posey out there 
11, 12 years ago, and he was terrible. He looked absolutely terrible because he was exhausted. And so I'm willing to give Bailey kind of the same benefit of the doubt. But that said, Giants have a lot of options. I don't think Bailey's ready for the big leagues this year. He hasn't played above high A yet, but Bart will be. Bart should be. He's already debuted in the big leagues. He's played a little bit. He's got plenty of time in, in AAA. He could handle the majority of the duties. If I were asked, if the Giants front office asked me what to do, I would say find him some kind of caddy, somebody who can handle 40 to 50 games behind the plate and maybe whose strengths match up well with Bart's weaknesses so that you can set up. It doesn't have to be a left-right platoon, but some kind of job-sharing agreement that maximizes the output. And then keep developing Bailey and see what happens. Best case scenario is a year from now, they have two young guys who could be an everyday catcher in the big leagues. Not a bad spot to be in. I think Toronto recently found themselves in that position, and you can always move a catcher if you need to. There's always interest in catching help. Mm-hmm. The headline that got bumped from most baseball news pages when the Buster Posey news broke, Tucker Barnhart traded to the Tigers. I just think yep. that's cool because it opens up more time for Tyler Stevenson, who very quietly put together a great year in 2021. I hit 286 average, 366 OBP, popped 10 homers in just over 400 plate appearances. Uh, Stevenson's a former first rounder, so that he's a good big leaguer is not a surprise. But what are your expectations for him now that he has a path to maybe 500 plus plate appearances and can be the primary catcher in Cincinnati? Yeah, and he's been hurt a lot, too. His path to the majors was interrupted by a lot of injuries that were not necessarily catching related to. I believe he had a concussion at one point. I think, I think the story, didn't he take a backswing off the back of his head or something? I could be confusing him with someone else on that, but I believe that was the reason for it. Uh, he's got real power, and I'm not, you know, playing in Cincinnati is only going to enhance that. He's not put up huge home run totals so far in the minors. I think there's been a little bit of a focus on just trying to make him a better overall hitter and limit the strikeouts because he is a big guy. He's 6'4". He's listed at 6'4", 225. When I saw him in high school, too, it reminded me of quite a bit of young Matt Wieters, just physically, um, which, you know, Wieters ended up with some length in his swing. And, um, you know, obviously Wieters didn't pan out to be anywhere near the prospect we thought he was going to be. But, you know, in Stevenson's case, he's a really tall catcher. That's a tough job. That's to, makes a tough job even tougher, I would say. But I love the fact that Stevenson really has developed quite a bit as a hitter. I think he's going to be a better hitter for average and a better hitter for on base percentage than I, that I anticipated. But I also really still think that the power is going to be um, is going to be in there, and uh, or that it's going to come in the pretty near future. And so I think he can be the everyday catcher for them. I mean, he practically was right. He ended up taking Barnard's job uh, by the end of the year. Um, you know, to me, this was a bit of a – it's a salary dump for the Reds. And if you saw Nick Crawl's comments afterwards talking about aligning our resources, that sure sounds like we're tightening the belt here. But at the same time, you kind of didn't need Tucker Bornhart, right? You don't have to pay him 7 or $8 million. Whereas for the Tigers, on the other hand, who gave up basically a non-prospect. Nick Quintana was a second-round pick from a couple years ago, has not hit at all in pro ball. So I give him – it's fine for the Reds to take a shot at him, but he's – that's probably not happening. But in the Tigers' case, they have a catching prospect. This is apparently the catching prospect podcast today, mm-hmm. where uh, Dylan Dingler finished the year in Double A. He is probably not ready to come right to the big leagues. Um, he's not quite as far along as Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green, who probably could play in the big leagues on opening day. Dingler will be ready by the end of this upcoming season. Barnhart's the perfect guy to bring in as a one-year stopgap, right? You have him only, He's only under contract for a year. It's very affordable. You want to have a decent catcher because the Tigers are going to try to win next year, right? They're, the pitching is there. The pair of big bats are getting there right now. I would not be surprised at all to see them go out and land one of the big shortstops in free agency. This is perfect. This like checks a major need off the list for them. Jake Rogers, who I'm not a big fan of anyway, he is out for the year probably after Tommy John surgery or at least for most of it. My guess is he's out of the plans at this point. This is get Barnhart. He fills in for this year. Maybe if Dingler is ready by the second half, you do some kind of job share there. And uh, by the year after, Barnhart's a free agent after the season, I believe. And then you let Dingler take over full time. It, it actually makes a ton of sense for both sides. Even though as a baseball trade, it wasn't super interesting because the guy going back to Cincinnati is not much of a prospect. And in the Reds case, yeah, it's a salary dump. It doesn't look great. But they also had a guy. They already had somebody there to take over and those salary dumps don't bother me so much right there's a a reason to play tyler stevenson more and if you are going to stick to a strict budget you might as well open up 
the payroll by moving Barnhart and going it out and getting a back end starter or whatever it is that you want. I mean, they have to replace Mm -hmm. Nick Castellanos, which won't be a one for one swap. Maybe they'll shop in the bargain bin and maybe we can help them find someone from the aforementioned bargain bin. Thanks to your free agent rankings, which are up on the athletic top 50 all ranked. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, one thing you had in your intro that I I, I want to kind of get at right away. I mean, I think vanilla does get a bad rap. You were writing about how difficult right? it is to harvest and how the cost is through the roof. But all your favorite things, most of your favorite things have vanilla in it, and they wouldn't be as good without vanilla. So you kind of need vanilla. I have. So anytime I use vanilla beans in cooking, I, you know, you scrape it. Folks who've never seen, it's not even a bean. It's actually like a long seed pod. And you split it in half and you scrape out these the tiny little dots that you know from Breyer's vanilla ice cream if you're of a certain age <laughs> that's the good stuff right you scrape all that out and if you're just left with the seed pod you stick it in sugar stick it in your bag or or jar of sugar that you sit on the counter and it will infuse the sugar with vanilla flavor well i'd done that recently just opened up and i made uh, made bread this morning my late grandmother's bread recipe and i uh, just went to put some sugar in it i opened the thing up and i'm just greeted with this giant smell of of real vanilla and it's like why why don't i do this all the time right i should just open it up and just inhale it i don't need dessert i'm just gonna go smell the sugar <laughs> a good food hack uh, thanks to the pod unexpected food hacks that, that could be a good segment for our show unexpected food hacks mm-hmm. we could we definitely could i have a few i have a few i haven't took i know i've shared this on twitter a long time ago but i have a great trip Great trick for freezing bacon. We'll just have to save that for another show. Got to save that for a future week. So Carlos Correa atop your list. And I think, you know, Houston. Because I hate the Astros. Because you hate the Astros. And you're anxiously uh, awaiting him to leave the Astros, right? That's got to be why you ranked him first. That's what this is. I want all these players to leave their teams because I hate their old teams, (laughs) right? But unfortunately, they have to sign with new teams. And that hits me with a deep inner conflict. Yeah. As someone who hates all the teams, I imagine this is a very difficult time of year for you. But um is Houston going to make a true effort to retain Carlos Correa? When you look at their recent history and, and the way they've approached players from their core, I mean, George Springer left. Mm-hmm. Is Correa going to follow suit? Is he going to be playing somewhere else in 2022, regardless of how big the contract ends up being? I was more okay with the decision to let Springer walk away because they had Kyle Tucker and they have some lesser, not clear replacements necessarily, but some lesser in outfield depth in the system where I thought they could probably fade his loss also could probably go out into free agency or trade and find someone cheaper who can provide, you know, 80%, 90% of the production. It's the outfield. You can do that. And the Astros have been really good over the, basically since Jeff Luna first took over, obviously James clicks the GM now, but they've done a pretty good job of extracting value from players who, were underutilized by their own club, old clubs, or who needed some kind of adjustment. Uh, and so I trust them to do that. It's one of the clubs where I would say, I think they can do that. I think they can go out and replace most of what Springer would have offered at a substantial discount to what he ended up getting from Toronto. Correa is a different story to me. That's a tough one to replace. And I know they have some prospects in the system, they like Jeremy Pena, for example. It looks like he might be an everyday shortstop. They have tried Pedro Leon, the Cuban uh, defector who finally got to make his debut this year. Didn't play a ton. He got he started bad. Then he, st- then he started hitting really well. Then he got hurt. 
he's not ready yet. He's he's tooled out the wazoo. We just I don't think we really know what he is as a hitter, and I think we're still figuring out what his position would be, which is a long way of saying if Correa leaves, I don't know who the next shortstop is. And maybe they need to go find someone else in free agency. My fear is that they don't make a good faith effort to try to retain him, and that would be because of ownership. It would not be because of Click or anybody else at the team level, you know, at the front office level or below, but because Jim Crane has shown himself to be pretty penurious the last couple of years, um, and with a lockout uh, probably around the corner, and Crane pretty widely known to be one of the big labor hawks, I wouldn't feel good about that. If I were an Astros fan, I would be worried right now that my team is not going to make a good faith effort to retain you know, one of the best but he's, I think he's one of the best players in Astros history. And he's a, we had, we picked first, we got this guy and he turned out to be worth every penny, turned out to be the right pick. And he's been ours ever since. Um, and I, the one thing I guess you could say in their defense, they could make a real good faith effort to keep him and still lose out on him. That's true. He's the best player in the class, right? I could think off the top of my head, five, six teams that should be willing to go to the wall to try to sign him. Right. There might be yeah, a handful of teams willing to go with the, the godfather sort of offer, the $300 million contract, the 10 years, like all of that yeah. might be out there. And if you're Houston, you could try and still not get him. That is definitely among the possibilities. Yeah. Wouldn't you feel better as an Astros fan if you could say, hey, we tried, but the Tigers outbid us. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, so right. It, you just say, fine. We at, we went for it. We offered him to find out you actually offered him 280 over 10 and the Tigers offered $20 million more. So, okay, well, we tried. We absolutely tried. And then turn around and say, okay, well, now we we know we have the payroll flexibility to go get one of the other free agents shortstops. And there are a lot in this market. Yeah, there are. there have been plenty of years in the past where it would have been a much more difficult situation to be in the situation the Astros are in right now. I think if you want to say... They're not going to spend up on an elite, elite shortstop, but maybe they're going to go to the second tier. Javier Baez looks like a guy that might actually fit really well there because they they don't strike out. They do damage. Like They have a lineup that kind of offsets a lot of his flaws. They can afford to take that hit, get great defense up the middle, and maybe, maybe the Astros can change some things about Javier Baez, right? I mean, it, it seems like it's too late for that to happen, but... I'm a little more open-minded about this kind of thing after what we just saw happen in San Francisco with a bunch of hitters that I thought were pretty much done, right? So yeah. anything's possible. But if you want to go out and say, yeah, we're going to get someone on a two- or three-year deal and we're going to pay, I don't know, $20 million a year to get that player, that seems like something the Astros would pretty happily do. And then you have a gap from Baez to whoever that answer is, whether it's Pena or Leon or, or someone else entirely. That kind of seems like a more likely solution for this team. Yeah, Javi's one of the most interesting guys. Not one of the top top ranked guys because you know, he doesn't get on base at all. He basically never walks. He's as walk allergic as pretty much any player in baseball right now. Uh, and yet he is still valuable in spite of that, which I think speaks to just how talented he really is, um, that he can still produce, still be as valuable as he is while getting on base, uh, while walking about once every three weeks. I also look at him as a guy who's just kind of never made an adjustment, right? All that time that he was there with the Cubs. Did he really change his approach at any point? Was there a point where you could say, oh no, this aspect of his game got better. He might've thought it had that one year where he was a top five player in the MVP voting, but it didn't last. And so it makes me think he's just kind of the same player he's always been. Now, on the one hand, you might say, well, this guy's just impervious to improvement, right? We just can't do it. On the other hand, I would look at him if I were a GM and say, He's never really played for anyone else. He played two months with the Mets. It's not a whole lot of time. But I would look at him and say, hey, maybe we can get something that maybe we can try something that the Cubs didn't try. We're just maybe it's simply by virtue of us not being the Cubs that that will do something. Who knows? I just look at him as so much untapped upside uh, that, God, I would want to take a shot at him. Right? I would almost have to hold myself back from overpaying. I need somebody in the R and D department to be behind me, like just so, you know, arms wrapped around me. Just stop, Keith. Just, just yeah, hold it. Got hold me back. <laughs> I just want to give him all the money. Yeah, you're bidding against yourself here. Let's, let's right slow it down just a little bit. I mean, I think we, yeah. we did see glimpses of what I would describe as like a, a very palatable strikeout rate. 2016 and 2018, 24 percent back in 2016, 25.9 percent in 2018. But he's just been on that upward trajectory since that 2018 season, uh, north of 30 percent back to back years now. Even with that, you, know, you pop more than 30 homers, 
you offer speed on the base paths and you finish as a three plus win player. That's fine. Like if that's if that's all he's going to be for the next few years, you're happy with that. But you know, there's that possibility if you do unlock something that you can get something more out of him. And that's a really exciting possibility for Houston or for whatever team ends up taking the flyer on Baez. And I guess just thinking about the Cubs, I know they obviously had a lot of success in the last half decade, but so much of what they did with that core was a group of guys that were kind of finished products when they got them for the most yeah. part, right? I mean, like they didn't develop Chris Bryant. They didn't make Kyle Schwarber a great hitter. It's just one of those he things. got where, better afterwards. Yeah, I don't look at them and say they were a great organization that turning average talent into above average talent. I think they had a core of pretty early draft picks and did a lot of other things right. I mean, they obviously hit on the Arietta trade, and I'm not trying to completely disparage the Cubs, but if you're in that organization for most of your career, there's a chance that hearing something new somewhere else could actually change your approach a little bit. I'd give them Rizzo. I think Rizzo made a real adjustment after he was traded from San Diego to the Cubs and made some pretty visible changes to his swing that allowed him to finally start hitting lefties in particular. That might be it. I am trying to think. I'm sort of mentally going around. the Like, they had more guys who, you know, Bias should have gotten better. He was a high school draft. Almora never really did. I still look at Almora and I'm like, how were you not a better player? I don't I'm not blaming him. I make it sound like I'm blaming him, but just sort of, I don't know what happened between, I got, first time I saw that kid, I think he was 15, 15 or 16. I remember looking at him like, you were born five days before Kurt Cobain killed himself. I need to leave now. <laughs> but he really, good player, nice kid, nothing, it just never got better. But I mean, that, that's how the Cubs kind of ended up in the situation they're in now, where after a while, the inability to improve players, once they were especially no longer drafting in the top 10, and drafting at the end of the first round, or a couple of years they didn't have a first rounder, and then suddenly it's, oh, wait, now we're getting players who are not finished products. And there is a lot more development required, and that's a very different scenario. And I think reasonable questions to ask when evaluating some of these players as free agents, and in Baez's case, where he's so gifted, he is so athletic, and people seem to love the, the person too. So it does make me think... Um, there might be something more in there. Maybe it's different getting with a different coach, different teammates, whatever it is. You want to be the GM who has him if he figures it out, right? That big step forward comes at some point. I'd really like to be the one. I think we've talked a lot about Correa. We've talked a lot about Seager on past episodes. I don't think we have to go into great detail as to what we think about those guys in the long run. I think Marcus Simeon gets a little bit less attention. It's a slightly different Mm -hmm. situation because he's a little bit older, as you wrote, I mean, he proved he could be a great defensive second baseman. I think teams would be looking at him first as a shortstop. If they already had a shortstop, there's no reason why he couldn't get a multi-year deal and shore up the other side of the, of the infield and, and just be part of an amazing tandem up the middle. Uh, in terms of years, if you're making the decision, how comfortable would you be going more than five years with Marcus Simeon since he's already 31 years old? You know, that is a scenario where I pro- my initial bid you know i feel like you probably have to be aggressive in the initial bids on all of this right that no you're not going to marcus Simeon saying here's two years and an option Ugh, yeah yeah that's that's just a, but, that's an end the conversation i'm not right? taking your calls anymore you're not making any friends yeah. by doing that you're not really helping anybody including not you know, not furthering the conversation not furthering your negotiations at the same time you know i might come out with four and see where the market goes if the market's offering seven years I don't know where the inflection point is, right? F- you said five. I was like, you could probably live with five. He's really good defensively. If by the end of that contract, he's a great second baseman instead of a great shortstop. Well, he is a great second baseman now. He's both. I think you sign him to be a shortstop. I include him mentally in that deep shortstop class, but you could move him over to second. So you know he's going to have a position pretty much the whole contract and be good. So... It's not that. It's that, you know, at some point, most guys just start to lose some bat speed and then suddenly the offense isn't there anymore. And do you want the longer the contract, the greater that takes you deeper into your 30s, the greater the risk of that actually happening? And I would probably, in that case, just somewhere around between five and six years is the point where I probably just walk away. Because basically you're talking about 10-year deals with someone like Correa. You adjust for the age difference and then five to six years for Simeon ends up getting you to the same end point. So you're just getting mm-hmm. a larger portion of the deal might be decline years just because of, of your starting point. But 
Marcus Simeon had 45 homers this year, 15 steals. I don't think anyone saw that coming. It was so easy for me to look at 2019 and say every possible thing a player like this could do all at once all happened. Played mm-hmm. in every single game that year. You know, yep. got the K rate to a career low 13% that season. Walked more than ever. Like there was nowhere to go but down. And I know 2021 wasn't quite as good as 2019, but he clearly proved me and probably a lot of other people wrong with what he was able to do with the Jays this season. Yes, incredibly impressive. And like, good, good. I want him to get, he should get paid. This is a good example of a player who did work incredibly hard by all accounts to improve as a player, to make himself a better uh, defensive player, to give himself, he was a guy without a position. I I have history with him going back to college. Remember seeing him in spring training and seeing him in fall league with the White Sox and thinking that guy ain't a shortstop, like at all. And hey, guess what? Turns out he made himself into a pretty good one, which one should just remind us when players are athletic and willing to work, lots of things are possible. I wouldn't say nothing is impossible, but lots of things are possible that we might not have thought were possible. And take that example and look at Javi Baez. Now it's something at the plate rather than something in the field, but still very... um, very athletic, very energetic, high baseball aptitude player can figure some things out. And, you know, I wish it was exactly the same. You could say, well, just go hire Ron Washington. He'll fix Javi Baez. But somewhere out there is the coach or player who's going to help Baez. Maybe it should be um, Mike Brumley who helped turn Austin Riley into this, uh, you know, patient uh, doubles machine. Um, I don't know who it is, but they have to find that guy. And uh, if you sign Javi Baez, you want to try to go find that guy. And I think Simeon is, Simeon is an example, just like Chris Taylor, and Max Muncy. We've seen lots of guys who were got to the big leagues and they were one thing and then through work and the right coach and the right environment turned into another. Yeah, Taylor, I don't think we talked about him when we were looking at the future for the Dodgers, but he's probably moving on. I think that's the type of player that the Dodgers would think that they can find within their organization or, or somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. They got some guys in the system too who are going to end up, you know, they won't be exactly like Chris Taylor, but like could Jacob Amaya end up coming up and playing like a whole slew of positions, um, you know, and filling that role with some on base. But yeah, I think he could. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the thing for me with Chris Taylor is that the K rates always been a little on the high side. He walks a lot more than someone like Baez. I mean, he walks a ton over 10% this season. I just wonder how that swing and miss will age. Like, What kind of player is he going to be in year three or possibly year four of a deal? I could see teams kind of topping out around a three-year contract with Chris Taylor. But the versatility is clearly something that more and more teams are, are valuing. And I think you're going to get that. Mm-hmm. that that's that's going to be there, I think, for most of the time you have him. And that's certainly nice to have that to fall back on because you're not blocking yourself with either your prospects or with other players you want to add to the roster later. You have this guy that can capably play a few spots and you can get the best possible starting nine on the field a lot easier with a guy like that. Uh, the other shortstop I think is really interesting is just Trevor Story because he did not do any of the things you want to do entering free agency. Uh, I was surprised, like many people, that the Rockies didn't trade him at the deadline and you know, move on then, but instead it's going to be a qualifying offer situation. At least I think we can safely assume that. What would you do with Trevor Story, though? Like, let's say you're, you're in charge and you're going to miss out on Correa, you're going to miss out on, on Seager, you're going to miss out on Semyon, but you're kind of looking in that Baez range. How do you compare Story to Baez in terms of your preferences at this point? I know you've got a ranked in the article, but what do you think the the possible benefits of going with Story instead would be? I feel like with Story you probably have a better idea of exactly what you're getting. And there is value in certitude, right? There's some some teams that would say, no, we want the security. We're willing to cut off some of the possible upside because we'd uh, rather avoid the downside because we'd rather have a good floor and we know just what we're getting in terms of defense, in terms of power. You know, what does worry me, what has always worried me about story is, yes, I know guys leave Colorado and they're not just just their road splits, right? We, I think we've gotten past that at this point. At the same time, Story has really not been anywhere near the hitter on the road, and frankly, sometimes at home, that you maybe would want him to be. Certainly, that's why I have him ranked where I have him ranked, put it that way. That I don't believe that the offense is going to stay, um, that he's going to produce that much offensively once he's out of Colorado, particularly because so much of his game 
uh, revolved around power that will just be reduced by not being in Denver. And um, yeah, that would absolutely concern me um, if I were thinking about signing him in that, hey, we might be signing kind of a low offense or low average guy who can handle shortstop, but you know, we're not getting a star, right? Which makes it just I – mean, I, I, this is a tangent, but I will never understand why the Rockies didn't trade him in July. Never. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all. I would say that if you're if you're one of those teams that wants to live in the let's contend, but let's not throw huge piles of money in anybody boat, and there's plenty of those teams that are trying to stick to their budget, the story does make some sense. I think the career numbers outside of Coors are a bit troubling, especially the K rate being above 30% for his career on the road. I think it's so hard for me to sit here and say that's definitely who he is because we know breaking balls move differently in Coors versus outside of Coors. And I just think that does stuff to hitters that we can try to quantify it. And I'm sure there are people that have done a good job modeling this inside front offices. I don't think there's a lot of good public facing information on this just yet. It's fair. How much can a hitter still improve just by not having to make those adjustments in season? I'm in Colorado. I'm out of Colorado. Like I'm not saying he's a a true talent, 20% K rate guy, but I'm, genuinely wondering if there's less swing and miss in his game than we've seen because of the unique circumstances of having to play in Colorado. I think we don't know. I really feel like we just don't know the answer to that. Um, where either I, is there a certain type of hitter who's better off out of Colorado than other types of, you know, every we take the whole group of hitters who've left Colorado. Do some guys lose less when leaving Colorado than others? If that knowledge exists, I I don't know it. Maybe there, maybe it's public source that I haven't seen. Maybe it is just a matter of uh, teams. Uh, some teams have feel like they have a handle on this and they haven't put it out there, nor, nor should they. But I just don't know. And um, you know, I did think Lemayhew was one of those guys who would lose a lot and think he'd gain. Of course, he goes to Yankee Stadium and suddenly starts hitting for power. And I think the ballpark. He actually might be a guy who benefited from going to a different ballpark instead. Um, but, you know, you th- I think guys who rely a lot on power, they would worry me more. I just don't have the good evidence to back up that kind of uh, – it's a hypothesis, right? That guys who are very power over hit might be hurt worse by leaving Coors Field. I actually just don't know if that's uh, if that's really true or if we even have enough of a sample of good players who've left Colorado to make that determination. I guess the other way to look at it is could you – if you're advising Trevor Story, do you say, hey, you know, Marcus Simeon – took a one-year deal and did it somewhere else and showed everybody that what we saw at his best is actually sustainable. Do you take that shorter-term deal and make another run at free agency next year? I don't think it's necessarily bad advice given the concerns that I think a lot of people would have about Story at this point. Yeah. There were a lot of guys where I suggested that possibility that, hey, you can, you know, this is a guy who could potentially go do, go try to get a one-year deal somewhere and go out and get paid again next winter. I think next winter's free agent class is probably going to be, um, it's two things. Next year's free agent class is probably going to be um, thinner to begin with. And also by that point, there isn't this labor uncertainty, right? What if this, what we are staring at a possible lockout, uh, a likely lockout, I think, whereas the expectation would be by next winter, Maybe we don't right. Maybe we don't have that. Maybe next winter teams are more willing to spend. There are more teams willing to spend and to spend early. And I could see agents for certain players, certain shortstops, and certain starting pitchers saying, "One year deal, get paid, go out, improve your performance somewhere else." Yeah, and then cash in a year from now, and things might yep. be a lot better. Or get healthy. That's true for a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys. You know, Syndergaard's coming back off Tommy John. Verlander's coming back off Tommy John. Scherzer and Kershaw did not look grim. Kershaw was hurt. Scherzer, uh, Rodon both looked like they were wearing down at the end of the season. A lot of starting pitchers who might be better off uh, taking the risk, but saying going out to try to improve, show their healthy, show better performance in on a one-year deal. 
Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB Show. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight? Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I don't know if it's just a, a, a bias I have uh, preferring hitters long-term to pitchers or if it's just something like that shining through. This does seem like a, a class of, of pitchers that has a lot more high-risk, high-reward profiles in it. I mean, you've got Marcus Stroman as your highest-ranked free agent pitcher. I don't think he's all that risky. I think he would actually be one of the better floor guys. It might be a big part of why he ended mm-hmm. up where he did in your rankings. Mm-hmm. As you sure. as you look at Stroman, what about his profile makes you believe that he's going to, to age really well? Uh, two things. One is he's one of the best athletes uh, pitching anywhere, starter, reliever, anywhere in the majors. And the other is that he has reinvented himself multiple times. This is a guy who's never going to stop trying to improve. Um, he will tinker. He will alter pitches. He will add pitches. He will, whatever he has to do to continue competing, I believe he will he will do that. My guess is he will be a tinkerer until the day he retires and will probably have to pry the ball out of his hand. And I want that guy. That is, he is everything you want, right? He is productive. He has, uh, he works like crazy both to improve his craft and to try to stay healthy. And he will continue trying to improve as a player uh, for as long as you have him. Because um, I just think he, oh, because I think he's that type of person. I think he's also competitive like that. You can give him a 10-year deal. And I think he would be exactly the same in terms of trying to, constantly trying to improve himself. Yeah, I think with, with Stroman, too, the other thing that makes him appealing to me as a long-term addition is just that he's not living close to his max. It doesn't seem like he's out there like it just almost, I don't know, hurting himself with every single pitch. You, you kind of no. get that sense some guys are pitching in a way where they are, they are physically doing everything they possibly can with every single pitch. Stroman seems like it's a lot more controlled. It's a lot more finesse within that approach, too. That, given what we're seeing with other pitchers blowing out, gives me that little extra bit of optimism that he can stay healthy. Yes, well, we know there's some research showing that if you are just, if you're max effort all the time, not max effort in terms of your delivery, but if you're throwing at your maximum velocity level or close to it all the time, your risk of elbow injury is increased, right? That just, that kind of stands to reason, right? It's not so much everyone's like, well, everyone throws 100 and that's why they all get hurt. Well, for a lot of guys, 94 is 100, right? If that's as hard as you can possibly throw, but you are working to throw that hard all the time, then you're probably at higher risk of getting hurt. And I absolutely understand why some pitchers might say, try to uh, try to pitch at a lower level. Like, but like in Stroman's case, nope, going to sink it, cut it, pitch backwards. I don't want to be spending that, uh, spending my whole life pitching at maximum velocity because it does get guys hurt. And there are other cases where it's like, well, either I do that or I'm not in the major leagues. Yeah. That's that's true too, yeah. And if you need it, you can reach back, get that extra tick or two, and sometimes that makes all the difference too. Being able to kind of mm-hmm. pull that out of your back pocket in certain situations. 
The other pretty interesting toss-up, as you think about starting pitching, would be Robbie Ray versus Kevin Gossman, two guys that had phenomenal years in 2021. Two guys have taken long roads to get to this point. Both have shown, I think, flashes prior to this season of, of living up to expectations that people had for them. But with Ray, it's one of the bigger transformations we've ever seen. I know we talked about this a little bit earlier yeah. in the season, but Robbie Ray used to just walk everybody. You just knew that mm-hmm. was part of what you were getting. You're like, well, I'm going to get I'm gonna get eight strikeouts in five innings, but probably going to get three or four walks every single time out. And he sustained significant control gains over an entire season. I believe in that. It looks like you do as well. What do you think it looks like in terms of years that teams are willing to give him? I bet you he gets four years. Maybe he gets more. But because starting pitching of his caliber is so scarce, my guess is that he uh, ends up getting, you know, four plus years. I'll say four. Maybe he gets five. There's risk. You're you're absolutely right that there's risk there. Um, I would have the same thing. I would absolutely be worried that, oh my God, what if he just, you know, turns back into a pumpkin, right? Starts walking the park again. There's absolutely a risk that he does that. So I, but also there's probably a recognition. I mean, first of all, I think there's pretty good evidence that he is just a different pitcher. Uh, he made a lot of changes. Caitlin McGrath for us wrote a, an article on that that I linked to in my free agent rankings too. More reason to believe that he's for real. But you're always worried, right? He was that not that long ago. In July, early August of 2020, he was walking a man an inning. Who's to say he isn't just going to turn right back into that guy? Yeah, I'd worry about that. So I think, yeah, that's going to limit. You know, that's why I think Stroman and Gossman could get five years and, and Ray might get four. Yeah, I think that absolutely makes sense. I, I think with Gossman, I'm curious to see if he can come back with a more consistent third pitch, regardless of where he signs. I think that's going to that's going to determine just how good he can be as he moves through a long-term deal. I think that's, that's my greatest concern. You know, Four-seamer, split-finger. Great pitches for him, right? But if he had one more pitch that he could throw consistently, he throws some change-ups, throws some sliders, both under 10% in terms of usage, though. One of those pitches, I think, needs to be more consistent for him if he's going to kind of hold some of the the good gains that we have seen from him during his time in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's that's a fair concern. How good can a guy be when he's basically just fastball splitter? Don't know. Don't know, right? I, can he be a number one starter? I would argue that you've got a better chance to be a number one type starter, number one, number two starter, as a two-pitch guy if the second pitch is a changeup or a splitter versus a guy who is um, fastball slider, fastball curveball, fastball cutter. I think we've seen fewer such examples historically because of the platoon issue. And that's even more true for right-handed pitchers, but it can be true for lefties as well. That's why I give Gossman a bit more of a chance. So... Obviously, there are way more players you wrote up that we haven't talked about. I'm just curious, as you finalize this piece, is there anybody on the pitching side that the more you looked, the more you kind of liked them as a a buy-low rebound candidate for some team to go after this winter? Mm. Yeah, there are a bunch of those, I think, towards the bottom end of the list. Um, There were more guys... Typically, the problem I have with lists like this is that I don't have enough free agents. There just aren't enough guys. Um, this year, I had way more. I could have written up 10, 15 more guys. It's just we decided f- uh, 50 was enough. I was originally like, let's start with 40 and see how it goes. And actually, it was like, no, nah, I'm going to have no problem getting to 50. I, I I mean, I guess it probably seems like silly to say this now, but I'm a Jorge Soler guy. It's probably not a huge shock, but um, especially after this week, it's like, oh, yeah, are you Keith? Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, I think he's got a chance to be much, much better. I think what you saw from him in Atlanta is a sign. It's not a guarantee, right? It's just a sign that it's in there. Um, Danny Duffy, uh, I think, is is that kind of guy. If he can get healthy, obviously, that's why I put him at the very back of the list because recognizing okay, he's not 100% healthy right now. Um yeah, I'd be curious to see what uh, Andrew Haney does in with a fresh start somewhere else. Um, yeah, he's always a little homer prone. That was ridiculous last year. And, you know, I just look at it, it's like either he's hurt or um, or it's just a fluke, right? He's got to be better next year. They can't possibly do that again. 
yeah, maybe tipping pitches or something else going on there that just has to explain the massive spike in home run rate. But yeah, I'm right there with you on Heaney. I think he could end up being a great bargain. Uh, I'm kind of curious to see what happens with uh, uh, Alex Wood, too. I, I don't know how... You can't go long-term with him just because year over year he's had such a difficult time staying healthy, but the per-inning mm-hmm. results are so good that it's still tantalizing to, to chase a player like that when they become available. I, he's been pretty good when he's been healthy. He's not that frequently healthy, and I just – I'm sorry. I just look at the delivery and the history, the list of injuries he's had, and it's like, okay, well, those, right? That's not a coincidence. You don't look like that pitching and, and then get hurt that often. And say, no, those two things are totally unrelated. Like, to me, it's absolutely, um, I think it's absolutely connected. I think as long as he pitches like that, but the problem is that he's going to get hurt. But the problem is part of why he's so effective is because he pitches like that. So it's not like you can change him. Not that I think there's any chance of him changing. I think you just live with it. That's just what it is. And just say, you know what? We hope we can get 20 starts out of him or we use him in some kind of swing role, whatever you got to do to try to keep him healthy enough to maximize the output that you get out of him. Yeah, maybe he fits well on a team that is comfortable with some of its upper level minor league depth. Like if, if you feel good about some of those guys taking on a role midseason, okay, Wood fits a little better for you in free agency because you can absorb the replacement innings a lot easier than a team that doesn't have depth mm-hmm. like that. Be sure to check out the piece, the 50 best MLB free agents of the 2021-2022 offseason, starting with Carlos Correa. It's Keith Latest. You can find Keith on Twitter, at Keith Law. You can find me, at Derek Van Riper. One quick programming note on this show. Starting on Wednesday, Evan Drellick joins the lineup each week. He'll have a guest on to discuss the ongoing negotiation toward a new CBA plus off-season news. So be sure to check that out each and every week right here on The Athletic Baseball Show. Have a great weekend. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.